Welcome to episode 84 of the Amanda Wagner podcast, the place for fiercely ambitious entrepreneurs and leaders who want to get off the sidelines, build a legacy and claim their spotlight. In this episode, we discuss one way to help you get out of the slump or a rut and start thinking bigger. We share the ways that we approach hard conversations and we pull back the curtain on some of the ways that LP and I worked through a tough conversation that we had to have and why we are better for it. I'm Amanda Wagner, speaker, business strategist, and professional hype woman. And I'm Liz Pittman, a digital communications specialist. The Amanda Wagner podcast is the place for ambitious entrepreneurs and leaders who are tired of looking at others and saying, why are they doing that and I'm not? and are ready instead to claim their own spotlight. On this podcast, we talk about the challenges and delights of being highly ambitious and how even though we're impatient and at times anxious, we can be intentional and make strategic decisions about how to get more of what we want in a noisy world. In the last few months, I have been in a slump, a rut, a rough patch, a hole of self-pity, whatever you wanna call it, and it has led me to question a lot of things in my work life. One thing I've never questioned is the actual dream. The dreamy, big picture, I want to be on massive stages sharing big ideas with hundreds of thousands of strangers who become my people and having space to pull on whatever thread captivates me. That is still the dream, the scale of Oprah dream. That said, I've questioned a lot of the nitty gritty pieces. How am I getting there? Why do I wanna get there? How fast do I wanna get there? I know that I wanna spend my life thinking about big ideas and processing how they make sense to me and the people like me and communicating them in a thoughtful way that only I can do. I can taste it when I close my eyes and it still feels right and it still feels like what I want. And yet, day to day, when I'm in this slump, I don't take myself to that place. Instead, I start nitpicking. I look at everything that isn't working. I make up a lot of excuses. I start to drill into all the things I suck at, all the things that have cost me time, money, or energy, all the the things that I've wasted. And for somebody who wants to be a big deal, metrics, as vain as some of them are, can feel like an enemy when something isn't working. And I've been sitting in the suck. And I advocate for sitting in the suck. Sometimes you just need to be there. And the worst advice you can get is somebody saying, just get over it, or pull yourself up, or it'll pass. That isn't always helpful. And if I'm honest, I've had to wallow because I haven't had the the energy to even take action. And if I'm honest, I don't even know what action I would take. So it's not just that I can't take action, it's that I don't know what would move me forward. I haven't given that the time and energy because I'm stuck in the spiral of suckdom. And in my opinion, action for action's sake isn't a good use of energy. To do something just because I'm supposed to do something doesn't help. The action has to get me closer to what I want. So what I've been missing out on is what I want. I called in some help. I had a juicy brainstorming day with somebody that I trust with my business. I trust this person with my tiny baby feelings. 
this is somebody that LP and I both have relationships with. And even though they are on the outside of my business, they are invested in our success. And that matters a lot. And she let me wallow. She let me have my pity party and go through all the things that suck. And then said, okay, let's imagine we burn it to the ground. Let's start there. She said, what's the dream? Do you still want to be at the scale of Oprah? And as woo-woo as it sounds, I sat there and I closed my eyes and thought, okay, if I burned it all to the ground, would the dream change? And the dream is the exact same. I still want that. I know not everybody can say that, but she pulled me back in and it shook me by the shoulders because that dream exists. And I have been so caught up in this shit to let myself smile at that someday and to let that give me some of the energy that can help me figure out what the action is. If you listen to episode 83 with Tanya Geisler, you know that the imposter inside of us gets loud when we're doing something that matters. She uses the language swinging for the fences. Our imposter creeps up when we're doing something big, something that scares us, but also something that we really want. And I had to sit back and go, when was the last time I actually swung for the fences? I had to brainstorm what could swinging for the fences actually look like? And most importantly, who do I need on my team to help me do it? Because doing it alone isn't working for me anymore. Insert our pal Liz Pittman, LP here. We had a conversation on the horizon and we had to get the wheels in motion in order to do something different. Now, LP and I have been a team for over five years. I'm seeing Liz's look of, oh, is that true? Is it true? 2018. Wow. I had it in my head that it was four years. But no, you're right. This is just year four of the podcast. We've been doing, that's, that's bonkers. Right. So it makes sense that I had to pull you in for this. I don't think anybody knows my brand or what I want as well as you do. And yet I was sitting in my pile of suck alone. That doesn't mean that you weren't supportive. It doesn't mean that we weren't texting, but I never came to you with a, we need to have a strategic conversation, even though that's what we need it in order to take action. It has to be strategic. It has to be intentional. And I cannot figure that out alone. So I booked a meeting with Liz to talk about our digital marketing strategy and our work together, because I have been a total negative Nancy. And even though I love this thought exercise of what if we burned it all to the ground and started fresh, what I approached Liz with was a much more negative interpretation of that, which was let's just throw it all away. During that conversation, when Liz and I sat down and talked about our digital marketing strategy, which is probably boring for anybody who isn't one of us, I asked if she would be comfortable coming to the podcast to share how we approached this conversation and how navigating a challenging conversation as professionals changes when you're also friends. And what we each bring to the table 
when we have to have these kinds of meetings or conversations because they are inevitable. Not every conversation is going to be poppies and rainbows. That doesn't mean that they don't have to happen. And I think the longer that we bury them, the harder they become. The bottom line is that I finally felt hungry for the dream again because I paid attention to it. And I know that I won't get there alone. So I pulled in my people to make sure that they are still on board and that they see the dream too. And then from there, we can recalibrate. So Liz, I hit you with a a meeting invitation and said, here are the things that I want to talk about. We had about two weeks of lead time. I vividly remember when we started our Zoom call. Do you remember the first thing that you said? I wanted to get it out of the way right away. I said, I'm anxious about this conversation. I just, I wanted to kind of set the tone and be really honest about where I was at, the space that I was in. And also I had the the wonderful opportunity to be able to do that because I trust you and because there are layers to our relationship. That's not something I'd be able to say in every professional meeting. But that's the beautiful thing about the work that we do together. Up front, I was like, yo, this is feeling weird for me. And I just need you to know that. So I started there because I'm so emotionally invested in the work uh, and your success. And I'm also really proud of the work that I do. And so I wanted to be upfront to be like, hey, like this is freaking me out a little bit that we're going to have this chat because up until that point, it had just been little blips here and there that we had talked about it. And as you mentioned, you, you know, you were kind of negative nancying it. And so I was feeling really protective of the work that I had done. And, and I was a little bit scared about what was to come in that conversation. As soon as you said that, I felt my shoulders relax too, because I went, oh, I'm not the only one that's nervous about that. I think I actually said to you, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that, not because I want you to suffer, not because I want you to live in an anxious space, but because I felt it too. And so by laying that groundwork, it was like, okay, we're both coming into this a little unsure, a little anxious about where it's going to go. And now that we know that, we get to choose the tone that we take and we get to choose how we address the things that have to be talked about. I find that when it comes to any type of hard conversation, whether you are a team of one like myself and working with somebody like LP or in a larger team, I like to own the fact that it might be hard. To me, that is the most disarming thing you can do. One of the things that I've helped others do and try to do myself is to just say, this might be an uncomfortable conversation, but I trust that we can get through it together. We are humans first, right? How many times have we said this? We are humans first. So let's bring that into some of these difficult conversations that we have as a reminder that we're just people. Right. And we have feelings, even though this is a professional conversation, this is a business meeting. We still have little baby feelings that need to be involved. Totally. Yes. they, And that's what makes us better at these conversations, because we aren't just approaching them from a technical, tactical lens. I am a, a believer that it's OK to cry at work. Some people will probably want to fight me on that. Um, There are times in my career where it hasn't worked for me. But the language that 
I have adopted actually came from a conversation with a client who said, who's going into a difficult conversation and said, but what if I cry? And I said, okay, well, what if somebody came into your office and cried about something? And she said, oh, well, they have. One of my team members has come into my office and, and discussed something difficult and they cried. He's great. Did you think less of that person? And she said, no, it showed me how much that person cared. For some people, our care, our intention, our heart comes out in tears. It doesn't mean we're babies. It doesn't mean we're weak. In reality, when I start to cry, it's because something is really important to me. And I would love for that to be recognized a little bit more. So here's a line. If you're in one of those difficult conversations and you start to cry, you can say, apologies for my emotional response. Don't even have to apologize. You can acknowledge it. I, I know I'm getting emotional. That's because this is really important to me. Isn't that a great explanation? So I think that by starting an uncomfortable conversation, by owning that it might be weird, owning that it might be hard, and that you might cry, to me, that, that's the foundation of where we're actually able to make a change. Because yes, we're humans, but also for Liz and I to have a conversation that is strictly factual and data-based, and you said this and I said this, also isn't true to who we are. I don't think it respects us. I don't think it represents the brand we're trying to build. And I think that we each had to come to this conversation knowing that we might not know exactly how it goes, but we know that we're going to get somewhere better. We are both so invested in this brand and I have so much respect to know that I have people who champion me and my dream that you want this dream that I have thought up for me. We've also invested a lot in our personal relationship. And because of that, we had to take some of the pressure off in this conversation and see where we're each coming from, admit where we're each coming from and why we want to have this conversation, knowing that it gets messy. For conversations like this, I bring with me a little bit of a toolkit. I go, here are some lines that I've got in my back pocket. Here are some things that I'm prepared to think about or talk about. Liz, I know that you also come with a toolkit. What is in your hard conversation toolkit? The first one goes back to what we're saying is I like to, if the opportunity presents itself and I feel like I'm in a safe enough space to do so, I like to set the tone, share how I'm feeling, be really honest ahead of time. Um, So in this conversation, I felt anxious. I shared that. I was honest about how the little conversations we'd had leading up to the meeting were making me feel. And so I just, I want to kind of get that out. Uh, Regardless of who I'm having the conversation with, I don't want those feelings to fester. I don't want to leave that meeting feeling worse than I felt coming into it. So the first thing for me is I was just like, get that out there. So everybody at the table knows this is the space I'm in coming to this conversation. So that's number one for me. I've shared my number one, which is sharing that the conversation might be hard and that I trust we can do it. I don't leave it at this is going to be hard. It's this is going to be hard and I'm confident that we can figure our way out. The second thing in my toolkit is that I like to start at the end. This won't surprise anybody. This is how I do a lot of goal setting. 
But I start at the end going, the goal of this conversation is to X, Y, Z. Or by the end of this talk, I want to have achieved this and this and this. It means that not only do we have some direction for the conversation so it doesn't go on for hours and hours, but it means that I've had to put some work in ahead of time to know what I want to get from it. Because we've all been involved in conversations where they go on and on and on. And after an hour and a half, we go, but what are we really here to do? And so in this particular conversation, it was, we are here to rethink how digital marketing is a part of an overall marketing strategy. And when I said that, I know that you and I both clicked and went, cool, we're here for the same reason. That is like when you get an invitation to a meeting and there's no agenda, right? I just saw on LinkedIn today, someone said, uh, no, no agendi, no attendee, <laughs> which I thought was wonderful, right? Like, let's have some purpose and be really intentional about why we're spending this time together. One of the other things that I do when I have this conversation in part of my prep is I will own any missteps that I've made. We're humans. So I will own the things that I did wrong or that I could do better that may have contributed to us having to have this conversation. So to use Liz in my conversation, some of the things that I did wrong, I overlooked some of the other big pieces of marketing. Instead of looking at digital media as a tool, I looked at it as the whole thing. The other piece was that I didn't offer a ton of feedback. I've really stepped back in the last couple months. I also owned that this conversation was happening far too late in the year. This conversation probably should have happened in December, and it didn't. So I went in not with the intention of weakening my position. And, and I changed the tone of my voice because I think I don't perceive it that way, but somebody might. I went in saying, hey, I'm not perfect at this. Here are some of the things I should have done differently with the hope that Liz meeting me on the other side could go, oh, thank you for saying that. Here are some of the things I might have done differently. One of the things that I like to bring into conversations is data. And the emotional piece is important, especially in our conversations. We have to bring those feelings forward. That's just who we are and that's part of our strengths. But data is also really key to having some of these conversations as well. I always tell my students that just like Shakira's hips don't lie, numbers don't lie. Uh, so I always like to compile information that's relevant, right? I don't, we don't want those vanity metrics, but pulling together the information that's relevant to the conversation. So we were talking about our content. How is the content actually performing? So not so much like a gut check how we feel things are doing, looking at the cold hard facts and then asking the question that we love so much, so what? So a post got this much love, so what? Who cares? What does that mean? What does that mean in the grander scheme? How can we be strategic with that information? So not only do I like to bring data to conversations when that's appropriate and, and can happen, there's also the ability to interpret that data and discuss discuss what it means and the impact that that those numbers can have or the impact that those percentages name your spreadsheet whatever that those have uh, and to be able to share tidbits that 
make sense to the other parties because depending upon who's in the conversation you might have people that don't know what you're talking about who don't understand the the platform that you work on or the the committee that you're on or whatever it might be so bringing in those pieces of information that not only showcase how things are going but in some cases and I don't want to say cherry picking, but like picking out the things that actually do make sense to who else is sitting at the table. One thing that I got to see in action, and I assume you do this with your clients, because as a digital media strategist, I imagine that I am not the first person that's come to you and said, is this working? It's not happening fast enough. Why am I, why am I not having 10,000 likes on this post? Oh my god, it happens all the time. Uh, everyone, everyone gets impatient and everyone wants results faster than they happen. That's just how it works. Uh, it's so, so rare to be like, hey, we got that thing a year faster than we thought we would. That's just not how it works. Um, so yeah, I've had these conversations a lot and that's where data really helps me. Um, and that's why I always, and this is a conversation again I have with my students, the social media manager, the digital communications person is often overlooked uh, or there's often the, you know, why don't we just get, you know, the neighbor's nephew to run our Instagram feed? And it's like, no, these people matter. These people are valuable. Bring the numbers with you to the meetings to prove your worth. And the data on its own is only so valuable because the data has to come with the story. And that's where having an expert comes in. Because one thing that I'm gonna add to your toolkit here, in your toolkit is the data, but with that data is also the strategic, here's what this number says. Here's how that translates into something meaningful. And another piece was also just the timing of when you sent that to me. So it was probably 24 hours before our meeting. Does that sound right? When you sent an email with, here's some data that I'm going to bring to our meeting so that we can discuss it. And everything was linked with this post did this, and this one had this many saves. And some, some points where you just said, we will talk more about this tomorrow, but I want you to be able to look at these three things before we meet. Why do you send that ahead of time instead of just hitting somebody with it in the meeting? Well, I mean, data is overwhelming, right? To hit somebody with just like a pile of numbers, that's not fun for anybody, I don't think. And if it's fun for you, I don't think we'd be friends. <laughs> um, uh, but we just, we... I, I always want to share that information ahead of time so that there's context, right? There's a little bit more additional information so everybody is kind of armed with all of the relevant angles before having the conversation. What I also loved as the recipient of that email is that I knew you were not coming into the conversation to blindside me. I think sometimes people hold their cards really close before they meet as though there's some secret information that they're gonna hit you with and surprise you. And in uncomfortable conversations, nobody wants surprises. I say that with extreme confidence. Nobody wants to be taken off guard. It's like getting the meeting request with no agenda or no purpose. That scares people. And so by sending that data early, it was, we actually don't have to be afraid of this. We're going to have a conversation about it. One thing in my toolkit is the check-in. Now I have like the midpoint check-in. It doesn't have to be the midpoint, 
But I often find that in these conversations, there's some kind of lull or recalibration or have a sip of coffee. And that to me, uh, as the person who asked for the conversation, that's where I come in and go, we started the conversation feeling a bit anxious. Where are you at right now? And sometimes it can help to give a number to that. If we can assign a value on a scale of one to five, five being awesome, one being really shitty. How are you feeling right now? Because it lets me figure out how to proceed in this conversation. Something that I have seen done poorly is when there is somebody in front of you, you're having a difficult conversation with them and they're clearly at the one. They're incredibly emotional. They can't process. They look confused. They don't know what to do with this information. At some point, it's the responsibility of the person facilitating this conversation to say, I see your discomfort or I see your fill in the blank. Let's pause and take a break. We can come back to this. Maybe it's in 10 minutes. Maybe it's in the afternoon. Maybe it's tomorrow. But I always want to give that person the dignity to process what's happening. Not everybody thinks and responds quickly. Not everybody thinks and responds as I do or as you do. And so giving somebody that space will help make sure that you get to the goal that you said mattered in the first place. I also will share how I'm feeling at that point. Here, I think we're making progress. It's also an opportunity to say, we said we wanted to get here and we've gone off track. Let's pull it back. Just related to you saying not everyone can respond as quickly or be prepared for the questions that are being asked. Another thing in my toolkit is know that I have the ability to ask for time. So if I'm asked a question or am asked to come up with a solution or like, I saw this in your data thing. Can you tell us three ways that we can fix that? It's like, well, shit, not off the top of my head. I know that I have the power to say, I'll have that by the end of the week. Or just give me a minute uh, to, you know, can I just sit with that for 30 seconds I think so often people feel this pressure like, oh shit, I have to answer this question right now and then not the best possible answer or the one that you would have answered with hindsight is what comes out. So the third thing in my toolkit is know that I can ask for time and that's okay. Again, I'm a human and I need that time to prepare and to give the best possible answer. You as someone I work for, you deserve the best possible answer, right? You don't want just like random bullshit that falls out of my mouth because I feel the pressure. So I know in order to create something meaningful for the brand, I also need to have my answers be meaningful. I appreciate that so much because I know that in our meeting, I hit you with a question that now when you said, I can't answer that right now, now I go, of course she couldn't answer that right now. Because I said to you, okay, if you were running Oprah's social, what would you do? Of course you need time to think about that. That's why I'm hiring a specialist. That's why I'm hiring somebody who thinks in strategy. I don't want just an executor. That's why I didn't hire my neighbor's nephew. I hired somebody who can think big about these things. So they're both true as a conversation facilitator to give that time, give that permission, but also as somebody in the conversation, tell people you need time. You can ask for permission. I can't imagine 
having a productive meeting with somebody when you say, I need some more time to think about it. And they say, nope, you have to answer now. I don't know if that's someone I want to work with. That leads really beautifully into the fifth thing in my toolbox, which is the action plan or the follow-up plan. Because after this conversation, you and I decided to make a handful of changes. And so we had to acknowledge that we're going into this and we're going to make a bunch of changes. That means that we probably aren't going to know exactly which change worked or didn't work. But we both still think it's the right move. And so what it means is that we, we had a recap of here's everything we said we were going to do. Here are the changes that we're going to make. Here's your role. Here's my role. When do we touch base again? To me, action plans and follow-up plans also come with commitments and agreements. And because this conversation had feelings in it, we also had to have an agreement where I said, look, if I'm feeling this way again, I can't let it fester. I have to have that talk. And, and I'll let you share from your perspective what one of the agreements was that you had to ask from me. Something that came out of the conversation for me is the need for us to have more frequent check-ins. We don't, we had, our meeting was like just about two hours long. We don't need to meet for two hours. We can have a 20-minute check-in more frequently to see what's working, see what's not, see where we need to pivot. It was really wonderful, the result of this conversation, to have a little bit more direction. Uh, You've had a really busy year. And so, you know, I've I've been handling things and that's great. I love to do that, but it's so wonderful when we can tackle things together and we both know what's going on. We both know which direction which direction the ship is pointed, right? So, some really wonderful things came as a result of that conversation and now we know where we're going, right? We've got the action plan. We know what the follow-ups look like, which is such a beautiful thing. The next time we have the check-in, it's much more likely that I won't have to start and say, I'm feeling really anxious about this because the lines of communication have been opened as a result of the first one. For sure. And to me, that's your bang on. That's the part where it becomes more regular. It becomes more normal. Our two hour conversation once every three months is going to become 20 minutes once a month. And it's just going to work like clockwork. That's the plan because we both want that. And we both got a taste of how good it feels to be on the same page, working towards the same thing. And so I, I mean, we, we took lemons and turned it into content here. We took the lemons of having to have this difficult conversation, being a little bit anxious and uncomfortable and going, well, let's use this as a catalyst for the podcast. Let's talk about something that's actually happened with the goal being anybody who's listening to this feels a little bit more equipped or prepared to have one of these challenging conversations and make some agreements with whoever they're talking with that it doesn't have to be uncomfortable. What I know for sure is that good things come from hard conversations. I fully believe that. Putting off hard conversations only makes them harder. It can breed more resentment and bad feelings and make it more challenging to bring things up. I believe that hard conversations with a goal in mind are far easier and productive than those that go nowhere or just become a venting session. And I think that making agreements with each other is essential. 
If this happens again, let's do X, Y, Z. Instead of feeling this way, here's how we bring it up. What's the code word when something isn't going as we hoped it would? Or when I'm afraid of hurting your feelings, whatever that looks like. Then we know it's time for another conversation. And for us, one of the, the agreements, the commitments that came out was that we said, let's sit down for an hour and let's brainstorm a ton of captions for Instagram. Let's like really double down on the things that are working that Liz presented data for and said, these are the things that get the most saves. These are the things that get the most comments. Let's do more of it. These are the podcasts that people listen to most. We brainstormed the next few months of podcast episodes and I haven't felt this excited about the podcast and the Instagram in a long time. The beauty of this commitment is that you happened to be visiting my city. We got to do this in person. We also had the joy of doing it over tacos and margaritas. So we made it something that was fun and exciting. And this happened because we both paused and looked at the dream. Past me might not have done that. Past me might have just gone to data. Past me might have gone, this is how many followers we have. Why isn't it this? And to get out of my slump, I have to go, no, this is the dream. It's still there. I'm still in. Instagram's just one tiny piece of the big puzzle, right? That follower count is just one piece of the puzzle. The podcast is one piece. You on stage is one piece. They all contribute meaningfully in their own little ways to make the dream happen. You got excitement out of the conversation. I got clarity out of the conversation. I think we're both better for it. Our work will be better for it. Uh, and it those first couple minutes sucked <laughs> but it was wonderful like the result was wonderful mm -hmm. I completely agree the first couple minutes sucked it was hard it was really really hard and absolutely worth it recording today would be very different if we hadn't had that conversation to bottom line it if you find yourself stuck if you find yourself frustrated Find, oh, this is the cheesiest thing I've ever said. Find your way back to the dream is what I have written down. <laughs> I'm sure there's a less cheesy way to say that. But close your eyes and go to the big picture. Is it still what you want? If it still feels like the right place for you, fantastic. Find somebody that can help you get there. Maybe it's by talking about it. Maybe it's by strategizing about it or finding a plan but getting your head back in the game to the big picture can really do a good job of getting you unstuck and can set you up for this hard conversation to become a really productive, meaningful conversation. Liz, I so appreciate that you were willing to uh, let all of our listeners hear how the sausage is made sometimes and to share what could have been a really crunchy conversation and was only a really crunchy five minutes. It's been really nice to just have you and I back for this episode and the next one. It's nice to just be with the family, show how the sausage is made, and to reveal again that I am still on a quest for a big, bold, juicy, ambitious life, and that is keeping me moving. So when this episode ends, I encourage you sit in some silence, close your eyes, and picture the dream. See the details, imagine the lifestyle, and just let yourself bask in it. Maybe it's the same as it was before. Maybe it's changed, but let yourself see it. And then consider 
Who might I need to talk to in order to help get me closer to that dream, even if that conversation is hard? Liz and I recalibrated. We both have actions to take. We're playing with different ideas. We're playing with Instagram and LinkedIn and the podcast. And we have some time to check back in with each other. And I will tell you that I'm, I'm rocking myself out of this rut. And that finally feels good. It is towards the end of April as we are recording this. And a good friend reminded me last week to not make big decisions between March and April when you live in Edmonton because these are some some dreary months. So I'm glad I'm rocking out of this rut and very much looking forward to May. As always, it's don't ask, don't get time. And that means I have an ask. My dear friend Kira messaged me a few weeks ago and said, I know your podcast is for entrepreneurs, but it's also really good for academics. And she's right. Yes, we say that the Amanda Wagner podcast is for entrepreneurs and leaders, and leaders come in all different forms. Please share this episode and the podcast with somebody who you think would benefit from our words, from our perspective, someone ambitious, curious, and who wants more. We are on a mission to keep building our community, and the podcast is one of the ways that we do it. And my ask for you today is if you've been putting off having a hard conversation, just go fucking do it. You probably feel bad about it and you don't want to do it, but you will feel better after. Think about the tips that we've shared, our conversation toolkits. I promise you will feel much better when the conversation is over. So that is my ask for you today. 100%. I love that so much. I'm so glad we got our hard conversation out of the way. I'm fired up. You ready for the next episode, Liz? So ready. And it's just the two of us again for the next one. Woohoo. Yeah, we wanted to just bring it down again. We're talking about storytelling and you and I are, are good at this. And we're talking about storytelling in a way that I think is missing. We all know storytelling is important, but how the hell do you actually do it? That's what you and I are digging into. Yeah, it's going to be good. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Spoiler alert, again, how the sausage is made. We're going to do that in about five minutes. We're going to record that episode, but you will hear it in two weeks. And until then, we will see you on the internet. Oh, I got sweaty again. I felt like I I was in that hard conversation again. (laughs) You're having flashbacks.